Welcome. It is such a pleasure to be joining you today at the Woman Can Money Virtual Summit. Firstly, I'd like to congratulate you on taking this time to take control of your finances, learn, get inspired, and then take action on that. And I want to thank Maria for bringing us all together with all this very knowledge our various experts truly honored to be part of it. So today I want to talk to you about knowing exactly how much you can invest comfortably. First, let me take a quick second and introduce myself. My name is Mel Dorion. I am a financial coach. I'm the blogger behind the blog modestmillionaires.com. I'm also a speaker and the mom too. Two little ones who are a little bit older than what we see in this picture here. They are seven and eight now. And I'm an expert at guiding individuals to take control of their finances to make sure that they align with their ideal life and the life that they truly want to live. I'm particularly uh, called upon to work with people who want to do mini retirements, sabbaticals, uh, part-time work, and just make sure that the logistics work financially for them. I've always been quite fascinated with finances. I was a teen who would prepare budgets for my friends, uh, but I also had a desire to experiment stuff and travel and do a lot of things. And those two passions collided in a bachelor's degree. It was a trilingual bachelor's degree in business and men, which I thought could give me the opportunity to work in different languages and perhaps travel and also have an impact. So bring a lot of my different passions together. But then I graduated in 2010. And at that time, the job market was still recovering from the economic crisis. And I had a little bit of debt from my studies. And I kind of felt the crunch and the desire for financial security, which led me to accept a job in the federal government, Canada, very secure job as a senior business analyst. It was great. The pay was great, all of that. But I was missing out a lot on the impact of my work. And I was kind of juggling ideas of how can I transition into something more impact, but also make sure I have my financial security. Once I discovered the FIRE movement, so financial independence, retire early movement, I figured this is my lifeline. This is what can lead me to have both. If I work very hard for about 10, 15 years and reach a place where my investments can cover my cost of living, then I could leave my work and do something maybe more impactful, community work, different things. I had a bunch of ideas I was juggling, really hung on to that. But luckily, I had a partner who liked his job and wasn't as kind of rushed. And as we were building a family, he pushed me to question, you know what, what do I want to do with that time? And how can we pursue that goal? but also make sure that we have space to take mini retirements with our kids, take the summers off and different ideas like that. And eventually I launched the blog. I started coaching others with their own financial goals. And I really developed a passion of guiding others on their objectives and realized, well, this is a side hustle. I can make income from this. And likely my ideal life includes part of this. So in my ideal life, I could generate income from something that brought me a lot of joy. And I would not necessarily need to be fully financially independent to do that kind of work and leave my nine to five that might not exactly leave me enough time for all the other things I enjoy and I want to spend time doing. So I took the leap. It was really the pandemic that that launched a full 
planning to action because our lifestyle balance was completely off. And I realized I was at a point where my investments have reached a sufficient number that they could continue to compound to reach my financial independence numbers sometime in my 40s anyways. If I were to cover my cost of living with the work I'm doing in my financial education and coaching business. So now today I work about 20 hours per week, a little less in the summer when I spend that time with my kids on all things that I love which is financial education. So I offer different workshops. I also do some speaking engagements, some meetups where people can talk about financial independence and the pursuit of it. And I do coaching, one-on-one coaching and speaking engagements, as well as creating content online to kind of uh, foster some new ideas and help people on their own journeys. And it's a true pleasure. I'm really obsessed with doing this work, uh, which is why I'm so excited for us to talk about this very important topic today. So today we are talking about knowing exactly how much you can invest comfortably. Today's big goals, you'll walk away from this masterclass knowing ways to prioritize your various goals, including investing, of course, to reach your objectives faster and more comfortably. How to determine the amount you can invest on a regular basis according to your current financial situation and goals. How to maintain comfort and continue to support your program. So if I teach you about this strategy to identify how much you can invest regularly while minimizing discomforts, do you promise to take action. One thing I see time and time again, and I've seen it for myself, but I see it with clients as well, is that we take a lot of time to educate ourselves and learn about all these things. But then when it comes time to take action, we, we kind of feel stuck and it's normal. It's very hard to put we're learning in practice because there's a lot of fears and limiting beliefs that'll come up at that time. But I just want you to take a quick moment to check in with yourself and promise that you'll do something. It could be big or small, but just take some of this knowledge, some of these practical tips I'll be sharing with you and give it a try. Apply it, do something that you can. You don't want to wait to take action especially when it comes to investing. Investing is something that can be quite complex. There is a lot you could learn about different strategies, different ways of approaching it. But if we don't put it in practice, we limit our growth and our ability to learn more. Right? When we begin to invest, that's when we start putting into practice all of our learning. We find out things that we might need to know as we take action, but you can't see that until you started putting stuff into practice. So I say this with my clients often, there is a lot of fear around investing. We are terrified that we're going to make the wrong move and it's going to have a terrible impact. But you know what? When I started investing, I began with about like $50 here and there um, in mutual funds, high cost mutual funds. I, I wish I would have started with lower cost funds and all of that. But you know what? It wasn't a huge amount of money. And yes, I did that frequent mistake of putting money in while not realizing exactly that I might need that money further down the line. So I I'd go back, withdraw, pay some penalties for that, all of it because I was learning. And it did not deter me from 10, 12 years later, still being at a very good place financially and then eventually moving on to uh, self-directed investing or just a better strategy for myself. So take a moment to recognize that this might be hard at first and it's all about increasing your comfort as you approach your different 
steps because the initial barriers are there. They exist even if there's sometimes fear that arise from our, ourself, but also created by often the industry. They make it complex because it is easier to then probably sell you stuff that, that costs more because it, they make you feel more secure. But one thing that really increases comfort is clarity. So behind this strategy that I'm going to teach with you today will address breaking out of the cycle of dipping back in your investments. As I did initially, starting to invest maybe a little more than I should on a regular basis and then having to go back because I didn't have the right emergency fund or something would come up and I would go back into dipping into my investments or having that fear, right? We want to break out of that fear of what if I need that money? We want clarity around knowing how much you need and then planning accordingly. And then when you put in that strategy, we have also ways to identify areas of improvement and then returning to our strategy and making it better and investing gradually more and more. First, let's talk about prioritizing your various goals. So the very first step, and I know this is kind of strange because we're not getting into the money at first, but you know what? Why do we invest? We invest to have the means to live the life we want. Might include feeling secure. It might include having options to essentially live the life we want. Like for me, I need a little more flexibility in my work and having a large sum invested helps me do so. So yes, the numbers are very crucial to achieving financial independence, but they are defined by our ideal life. And to begin working on this, I encourage you to do an ideal day reflection. So this is thinking about what would I be doing on a day that is perfect for me. And we are human, so that day will change varying on the seasons, uh, the time of the year, the age your kids have, and all of that. So it's fine if you have multiple versions of your ideal day or you include seasonal things that you want to be doing. But this will help you start thinking about what do you need in your life to feel happy and fulfilled and then work back way from that to figure out what does that mean for you financially. So then another exercise that I find super helpful with my clients is to prepare a timeline for your future where the goal is to put that ideal day as frequently as you can in that future, that plan for your future that you are building up. So I like to have my clients do this breakdown exercise where we say, okay, in 20 years, I'll be X years old. You might add family ages as well because it helps guide you a little more about like what does that picture look like at that time. And then we work through financial objectives, experiences, accomplishments, and milestones, and things we'd like to own. And this gives a snapshot of what you want in your life to kind of define those goals and figure out what do I need to have in place in year one to be there in five and etc. One quote that I really like from Bill Gates is that most people overestimate what they can achieve in a year and underestimate what they can achieve in 10 years. And I've seen that to be true for myself. I've seen that for clients that I've worked with on a little longer term where we try to put so much in the one year, but it's harder to visualize all that we can achieve in 10, 20 years down the line. And this exercise is so important to kind of guide your everyday actions to bring you closer to that longer term vision. So once you figured out your goals, of course, you're going to realize, look at all these priorities. I have a bunch of different priorities, uh, but they'll likely fall into three kinds of categories if we bring this back to the financial aspect of it. Your savings, so this is emergency funds, short-term goals, such as a trip that you'd like to do next year or studying something uh, or a renovation on your home. Then you have sinking funds. This 
is people will use them maybe for trips as well. I often see people using sinking funds as a mean to kind of, I'm putting about $200 a month for this, which will be say a municipal tax bill, something that just comes out once a year, just to make sure you have the funds available before that time. Essentially, your savings goals are more around funds that you might need on the shorter or medium term. So it's probably best not to have those locked into something uh, that is more volatile or a little more difficult to access. Like you wouldn't want this in your RRSPs, for example. So savings goals, you might have investments goals, that is retirement savings, financial independence fund could be retirement savings as well. But depending on when you'd like to withdraw, then it might be a little different, not in locked in retirement accounts. Uh, You might have education savings plans. These are all longer term. So you can deal a little bit more with volatility, ups and downs in the markets, especially if you're going to be withdrawing them a little bit per year, way further down the line, then you can deal with a little bit more risk or a little bit more difficulty and and barriers to get that money out of those investment funds. And oftentimes you'll have debt repayment, and this can be high interest debt, I'm talking about credit card loans and and higher, right? Those like 18 to 20 percent debt, medium interest debt. I normally like to say eight or so percent. Now mortgages are almost at that point, uh, which is ridiculous, but also to be taken into consideration. Low interest debt, if you've had a locked in mortgage from two years back, it's probably lower interest debt, but it's, it's good to categorize these in these different areas. So what we want to do from here on out is figuring out how much of our cash flow we'll allocate to make progress on each of our different goals. One thing that I find is incredibly helpful to make sure we're prioritizing all our goals at once is to create an allocation. So saying how much of the money that's left after I receive my income, I pay off all my spending of the month or the year, if we think if we're averaging out some big costs that come back only once a year. And then what's left, which I like to call the cash flow gap, I will split it up in a percentage towards my different objectives. So let's see an example of this. So as we move on to hitting different goals, our focus might change. So let's say this person has high interest debt that they'd like to pay off. That's their focus right now. And they'd like to build up their emergency fund to three months of spending because they don't want to be dipping back into savings, just want to make sure that they have some funds on hand if something they haven't prepared for shows up. So perhaps they'll choose to send 30% of their cash flow gap. So that is the money left after your income covers all your spending, your regular spending. And then they'll send 30% of what's left to build up their emergency fund. As for investments, they don't want to they they don't want to like put that aside until they pay off their debt. They do want to get a match from their employer at a certain level, so they do want to keep sending 15% of that cash flow gap towards retirement save investments. And then because that's one of their biggest goals right now, they'll be sending 55% of their cash flow gap towards debt repayment. So all the high interest debt while making sure they cover all the minimum costs of either like other levels of interest debt. And then as we move along this objective through time, then at one point, obviously, they'll reach that three months of spending uh, level in their e-fund. And once that happens, well, their focus will change. So maybe now, uh, let's say they pay off their high interest debt and their e-fund is now uh, reached three months of spending. They're not as rushed 
perhaps now to keep on building up their emergency fund. So they changed their gap allocation. They decide to send 10% of that cash flow gap to the building up their e-fund now to six months of spending. But they also decide to start saving up for a trip that's coming up because they don't want to put off enjoyment in their life to make sure that it's a sustainable plan. So they decide to send 20% of their cash flow gap to building up a savings goal of a trip or a renovation that's coming up or something that brings added value to their life. But they do want to reach financial independence at one point. So they want to bump up their 40% towards retirement investments. So from 15 to 40%. And as for debt repayment, they have mid-interest debt. So let's say they have a personal loan at 8 or 9% that they'd like to pay off. So they're going to send 30% of their cash flow gap towards that. And then eventually they're going to reach a different point in their focus. Then once they've paid off their mid-interest debt and they've got their e-fund fully funded to six months of spending, they're going to continue sending 30% of that cash flow gap to short-term goals, move on to sending 60% of that cash flow gap towards retirement investments, and then they'll switch down to, say, 10% towards low interest debt payoffs. So maybe they want to pay off their mortgage sooner. So they're going to start doing a little extra payment every month towards that goal. So this is just an example. Your allocation might be very different depending on what's your priority, but it's always good to have a balance in all these objectives. So you find yourself covering different bases. So covering that you have an emergency fund, covering that you are making progress towards your retirement investments and your debt as well. And once you've figured out your goal, goals, how you'll prioritize all of your different types of goals, you can determine how much to invest regularly. Let's get into the nitty gritty of that. For me, financial clarity is incredibly important to understand where you're at and how you should take your steps of action towards your goals. So we'll look at your current financial situation to figure out what's your starting point. So we'll look at what are your actual numbers right now? Kind of know what's the gap with your goals? Where do you need to focus and prioritize and send a bit of cash flow to make progress on those goals? And we'll have a focus on the financial metrics tied to your big objectives. So if that's an emergency fund, an upcoming trip, your investment goals, what's your financial independence goal and all of that. We'll look at this a little closer in a second. And I encourage you at this step to proceed with compassion and curiosity. It can bring on a lot of negative emotions to look at your financial situation, especially if you're not quite where you want to be, or if your goals feel pretty far away. And staying in that negativity could deter your motivation to keep on making progress and put in the hard work, because it is hard work after all. So I encourage you to approach these steps with curiosity and saying I'm kind of a detective looking at what's going on to figure out what I need to do and just try to get the negative emotions out of it. It's going to be so useful to make this work more enjoyable and keep that uh, yourself uh, constant in the work and make sustainable progress. So we want to identify your starting point. You want to look at your actual numbers. This is all about right, your income. What's my income? What am I bringing in? And think about different uh stimulus money, that would be if you're American, Canada, Canada child benefit, anything that's coming in. And I encourage you to put that on all this data on one sheet or something that you can see it like very easily and see what's going on with my situation. Where am I at? And then you might want to track this through time. So right, you have your income, then you have your assets. What do I own? You can put in depreciation, depreciating assets just to have them on there, but just make sure that you got everything. What's my investments at this and the debt and liability? 
abilities. And I encourage you to put the relevant interest rates on that sheet where you can see it very easily in one spot, the minimum payment, and then you figure out your net worth um, as well. Maybe your financial independence fund doesn't include your mortgage. If you don't want to include it, you might have that as well. But just getting a clear picture of your finances is very important to figure out where you're at and what are your goals. And then you want to focus on the financial metrics of your big objectives. We'll talk a little bit more about your expenses, but that's super important because it is your cost of living. You want to figure out, well, what's the emergency fund that makes me comfortable? Is it three months of spending? Is it six months of spending? What are my plan Bs if something comes up? Where can I get funds? And then short-term savings goals. If there's a trip that's coming up or something, and then your types of debt, as I mentioned, your financial independence number, which I encourage you to calculate based on what you think your cost of living will be in retirement or once you stop working. Think also about like what are retirement savings incentives? What's the match from your employer? What are the minimum things that you can get? And this will give you a very clear picture of what's going on with your finances right now. And it's it's hard work, but it's super important to figure out then what you have available to invest. So the number one step uh, to kind of figuring out how much money do I have at the end of the month that I could send to investments is to calculate your expenses and track them through time. There are multitude ways of tracking your expenses. I initially started by saying, I pretty much know what it is at the end of the month. This is what I sent to my statement, but I would always miss out on some things that come a few times per year. So eventually back in 2014, I started using Mint, which is a free tool online with a spreadsheet that I can see where I can see all the 12 months of the year and average out my cost per categories to figure out what's the average that I'm left with at the end of every month that I can be sending to investments and my other goals. So you can figure out a combo of ways that works for you, but I encourage you to actually do the work of tracking over several months, if not building up this habit. My clients that actually implement tracking your expenses and do it regularly and every month make amazing progress just because of the clarity that it brings you. So why is it important? First, it establishes the link between your behavior and their cost and your satisfaction. It's much easier to figure out if you were satisfied with the way you were spending your money in the past month when you track your spending at that time and you reflect on it because it's more fresh in mind what, what was going on, uh, what behavior is linked to what amount of cost. And then you want to determine your average spending and cash flow gap. So the famous cash flow gap that I mentioned, what's left after your income covers all your spending. That allows you to identify realistic objectives that might include costs that only come once a year or a uh, few times per year that we might not foresee. So how does it help us determine how much you can invest regularly? Well, you'll be able to use the cash flow gap allocation percentage, which I showed you the example earlier, to determine how much you can invest on a regular basis without compromising your other goals. Now let's look at this to determine which amount you'll invest monthly. So really that's the key here. Having the right allocation to make sure that you're prioritizing your different goals is really key to figuring out what's the amount that feels good and comfortable. So first you'll identify your average cash flow gap, what's left after you cover all your expenses, and then choose the allocation of that gap that you'll send to savings, debt repayment, and investment goals. So let's take the example of Jen. Jen 
decided to track her income from January to March. So she went back, imported some transactions into Mint, and then put that in a monthly tracking sheet and identified that on average, she has a positive cash flow of $1,000 each month. Jen has a few different priorities. She wants to build up her emergency fund to six months of spending just to feel more comfortable if something comes up. She also wants to save for a trip that she'd like to do in 2024. And she wants to invest because she'd like to be financially independent. She's not as rushed, but maybe in her 50s or so and that would be wonderful for her. So she opts for an allocation of sending 10% of her positive cash flow gap to build her heat fund, 20% to save for her trip and that leaves her a big chunk of 70% of the cash flow gap to invest. So she feels comfortable to set up monthly automatic monthly transfers of $100 going to her e-fund savings account, $200 to her savings account called Next Trip, or it could be all in the same savings account, but she wanted to have a separate one just to be a little bit more motivated and see the amount separately. And then she's setting up a $700 going towards her online brokerage account every month. I'm offering you the yearly expense tracker freebie, which you can download on this page here. This is what I personally use to visualize on a month to month basis, my spending. So you have all your categories expenses, you have your income on top and it calculates your averages, but also what's left at the end of the month. And you can enter the data generated every month by your automated tool in the spreadsheet. So if you're doing like me and using Mint, I go in at the end of the month, do a little 30 minute spending review with myself, look at my different categories and enter them in my sheet manually. I have some clients that just do it manually. They put their transactions in there, but basically it's a great opportunity to reflect on your last month's spending. So make sure you download that and it can help you figure out your cash flow gap. I encourage you to do this because it's one of the best tools to bring up some financial clarity around your situation. And financial clarity increases your comfort around your financial choices by helping you understand their long-term impact on your goals. So how can we maintain comfort and support your progress once that you've figured out how much you can invest monthly based on a few months back of spending averages, or if you've been tracking for a while, even better. So we maintain our comfort with realistic objectives. So continue to track your spending because this will allow you to verify the accuracy of your averages. I showed in my example of Jen, she's setting up automated, automated uh, transfers to her different objectives. Well, it's important that she goes back and makes sure that she's still getting that average gap of a thousand dollars and adjusts accordingly. We can validate if that cost of living meets our needs. As we're looking at different things, we can see, well, you know what? Maybe I'm not as satisfied. So maybe my gap will be lower, or maybe I need to take action on this to generate more income or, or do something different. Or maybe, you know what? Maybe I can cut out some spending and still meet my needs. And again, reviewing your allocation to see that you're still making progress on your different goals is important. Any cash flow amounts accordingly if any unplanned costs show up. So if anything happens within the month that changes kind of your uh, portrait or there's something big that happens, then you can shift and make changes in the right moment or maybe proactively so that you don't get stuck having to withdraw from your investments or backtrack on there. So you maintain that comfort by being proactive 
and staying on top of your habit of tracking your spending. And the longer you track, the more accurate you'll get and the more you'll be able to predict, well, maybe I need this buffer for home maintenance costs and different things. And then you could accordingly change the amount that you're sending towards your investment without feeling the strain. Perhaps you'll realize that you don't have as much or as high of a cash flow gap as you would like. So you'll want to plan taking actions to increase the amount you can invest. There's a couple of ways we can do that. We can reduce our expenses. I recommend that you focus on one or two categories at a time and see as you track how that feels. What are the results? Are you not compensating in another area of spending? You might want to negotiate the cost of your debt. So if you have a lot of high interest debt, it might be good to consolidate at a lower interest. I suggest that you monitor your automatic renewals. So this is your home insurance, your car insurance. Just call every time that they're coming up for a renewal and negotiate the cost. It can make a huge difference on your everyday spending. And you can increase your revenue, of course, to increase that gap. So that can be a career, a job change, negotiate a raise. You can do a side hustle. And and you can do both of these at the same time. It can bring up some overwhelm if we kind of attack it. I mentioned just focusing on a couple of categories. Uh, this is something I often see clients struggle with. So just a couple of tips to reduce the overwhelm if that's something that you'd like to tackle. You can always be doing more. So recognize that first. It's best to focus on the highest stake and to find the ones that work for you because what matters is being consistent with your strategies. That's where you make the most progress. If you can be sustain, do be doing sustainable progress every month, just reduce by a little bit until you find that cost of living that really brings you satisfaction. Going all out in one month could just completely deplete your motivation. And that's a lot worse than doing just a little bit of progress every month on the long run. And to continue supporting your progress, I encourage you to maintain good money habits. So that's anything around being mindful with your spending, reflecting on your money, tracking your spending, tracking your progress towards your goals, all of these different nice little tidbits that you could uh, you could do every month to make sure that you're checking in and making sure things are progressing in the right direction. You can surround yourself with inspiration and ways to get some feedback and get educated as you're doing here in the sun and find support from professionals. So different sources to do that uh, might be blogs, podcasts, articles, books, courses, virtual summits like this one. You would benefit too from talking to others about this. So Facebook groups, forums, Twitter, if you find the, the different topics that you're looking for, financial independence that pay off all of that and comment sections of blog as well, just to get into the discussion and try to get the input of others or see what others are doing and get new ideas. This helps create that the like the norm is the action that's going to help you make progress. That's what's being celebrated in those different groups. So it's very beneficial. And you might get an accountability partner, someone that has the same goal as you start investing this year, start making progress. So find someone that's doing the same thing and meet up and talk about what challenges you're facing, what's helped you make the most progress could be such a game changer. Might join Fi meetups. So I organize a monthly lunch meetup and occasional evening meetups where people come together and I facilitate a discussion to get people talking about their financial independence goals. Or you can work with a professional, a coach, a financial planner, someone that will help you make progress on your goal. Now you know the secret to identify how much you can invest comfortably, which can allow you to 
minimize negative feelings, start experimenting with investing consistently and increase comfort in your journey towards your financial goal. So I hope you'll be taking action on all that we talked about today. Make sure to download the yearly expense tracker freebie because financial clarity increases your comfort around the financial choices because it helps you understand what's the long-term impact on my goal. How am I prioritizing my different goals and things that matter to me to live the life that I truly want? So thank you so much. I hope you are getting so much out of this virtual summit and keep on taking action to make progress on your own financial goals. Thank you. Mm -hmm.